Hello everybody and welcome to Lighting the Pipes. Today we're going down a mouse hole. Is that what they're called, gents? Mouse holes just from the outset here? Am I getting this right? Uh, I would say yes. Uh, I would say don't call it a rat hole around <laughs> no, Chris No, no we, sh we should not. No. <laughs> Josh, would you call that a mouse hole? I thought that was the proper term for it. Okay, right. Well, yes, thank you very much for joining us and welcome to Lighten the Pipes. Today, we are going down a mouse hole and we're going to visit 1986 Disney film, The Great Mouse Detective. Now, you might be scratching your eyes here listening. If you're a regular listener to the show, scratching your eyes? Did I just say that? Might be scratching your head here. Uh, that'd, be very painful. that'd be very painful. <laughs> it's probably better, and it probably it probably feels better uh, if you scratch your head. If you're that kind yes. of fan, maybe uh -huh. you are. I'm, yeah, we're talking about Holmes Media, like mm -hmm. we did in the previous episode that we had when we covered Enola Holmes. That's right. And now we're covering another uh, part of uh, Holmes Media, which is the well-known animated film, The Great Mouse Detective. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Josh. You should have done the intro, because you're absolutely right. Not without its ties to the Sherlock Holmes canon, we are going today to take a little trip through the time machine all the way back to 1986, and we're going to review, although maybe that's not the best word, but we're going to discuss uh, The Great Mouse Detective, the animated film by the Walt Disney Corporation. And we're doing this because it has its nice links with Sherlock Holmes and the world of crime, and it's just a film that we all kind of had kicking around, isn't it? Yes. It is. And as well, I said, this is the movie that I introduced me to Sherlock Holmes before mm -hmm. I knew what Sherlock Holmes was. To me, he was always uh, like, why did this guy look like Basil of Baker Street? I was always confused <laughs> by that in my youth. <laughs> We've got back with us for the ride today, Jeffrey Chapman, who's our co-host on Bond by Numbers, where we do very different work, of course. But uh, Jeff, welcome back to the show. It's nice to have you here after our Enola Holmes episode. Yeah, I'm happy to be back. Uh, so like uh, before, so I guess uh, this is, you know, long time listener, second time uh, <laughs> contributor. So that's good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. And this one, yeah, this one's going to be fun. Uh, and, you know, an animated film that's uh, still sort of in, in the, I guess it's not necessarily canon, but it's it's in the Holmes uh, universe. And uh, so it's going to be fun to talk about this. And obviously it'll bring back sort of childhood memories. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a fun time. It's even more, uh, I, I would say, in the Holmes universe than Enola, Ga Enola Holmes. I was going to say Enola Gay. I'm like, that's the bomber that dropped the, <laughs> dropped the atomic bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Yeah, it is certainly it's more true. in the Holmes universe than yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> where was I? Oh, boy, what a sidetrack. Uh, bringing it uh, back. Yeah. yeah. Well, guys, where do we begin with this? Um, the last the time beginning? we... <laughs> yes, we could begin with the beginning. Yes, thank you, smartass. Josh, whose idea was it? Whose idea was it? Let the door open to this guy again. I just we were just talking about uh, you know film adaptations in uh, Sherlock Holmes, I believe, when we were talking when we were doing the Enola Holmes show, mm -hmm. and I just mentioned that my first pop culture experience of Sherlock Holmes has always been uh, the Great Mouse Detective, and then and then it went from there, and then that's how this happened. Well, this film for me was probably also my first introduction to the Sherlock Holmes canon. Although I do remember on my mom's bedside table, there was a big kind of omnibus, a kind of dog-eared omnibus of the Sherlock Holmes stories. But oh. I wasn't interested in them at the time. And they were, you know, the book was too big. The print was too small, you know, typical sort of thing. <laughs> it, but yes. those kind of books are daunting to... Uh, they really are. Huh? Wow. They are. 
but it's supposed to be underneath the coffee table. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but if you take, if you take that omnibus and you just divide it into all those little pieces, it's mm, actually mm. like there's just little snippets that you can yeah. put you know that you can exactly. absorb you know over a cup of coffee. You know what I mean? Well, now I could. Yeah, I still don't, I don't yeah. think I could when I was like seven years old, maybe. But you know, anyway, no, even even for me, that was a bit daunting. I agree. Mm -hmm. But this film would have been one of several Disney films that I'm sure I saw at some point. Uh, but yeah. it certainly doesn't it, it doesn't register with me as as a big one from my childhood or anything like that. I remember watching yeah. it, but I also remember forgetting it, if that makes any sense. I remember watching, I think, back in 1992. I, I'm confirming that date now because I know for a fact that. The movie was released was released yeah. on on, yeah. on mm -hmm. VH was right. in the theaters, and there was also a VHS release following that. Mm -hmm. And I remember having either me or my sister had a copy of, of that movie or whatever. My sister loved that movie when she was young, and Ooh. I did too. Mm -hmm. uh, I am, if you recall, Scott. Um, uh, one of my, I think, one of the most scariest childhood experiences was just mm -hmm. during Maleficent and Sleeping Beauty. Yes, oh, that's so pretty scary, man. And I remember I think you were coming to visit us and we were watching yeah. that movie and I was like under a blanket the entire time. Yeah, I do remember um, that. Yes, yeah. Formative development year there for you, I think that one. Yeah. We uh, we were watching it in Mount Pearl, if I recall. In Mount Pearl, we saw that. I can yeah. definitely see that being scary. Like, because honestly, like, yeah, Maleficent is scary. Like, she is, I, yes. I, I, for sure, man. Like, I totally get that. I think even um, Fantasia scared me a bit when I was mm -hmm. uh, Well, that whole, like, kid. devil, the whole devil. Yeah, that was... Sequence. Yeah, yeah that, 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 that was, was something scary. else. That, yeah. was, that was freaky. Yeah. Well, Disney's but not without its scary bits, and this film has yeah, a, sure. has them as well. Yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, I, I like how it kind of builds up to like. I like how it, one thing I'll point out is I love how it builds up to like. Radigan is kind of yeah, he's the villain of the film, but mm -hmm. as it gets more and more and more towards the end, you see how like vicious Radigan actually is. Mm -hmm. and, uh, it's it's very quite scary when he's like beating the crap out of Basil on top of the Big Ben there. Uh, yeah, yeah. Sheets of Reichsbach, eh? Except, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. The the violence actually kind of reminded me of, uh, and a movie that I really liked, but I also found it it was violent and it was scary. And but I, I would always come back to the film. But it, it's uh, I don't think it's Disney, or you can correct me if I'm wrong. Is the um, oh the the Rats of Nim, Secret of Nim, Secret of oh, Nim, Secret of Lo Nim. Lovely, yeah. lovely oh, film. Man. I love that one. Uh, that I was that John Blue. When I when was I was sick, not? I would always watch that movie when I was sick. Yeah, and it was funny because yeah. my my Steve, uh, our, our friend Steve Josh, uh, same thing. Like whenever he was sick, his mom would like put on that movie and he'd eat chicken soup. I'm like, oh my god, is that what everyone did in the eighties? Because <laughs> that's what happened. Like when I was sick, my mom would put on that or we'd rent that movie. I don't know if I had it, but mm -hmm. or it was taped off TV. But like I would have soup and I would watch the Secret of Nim. Yeah. I'm like, okay, so that's just what we did. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's actually, yeah. I've never actually seen the Secret of Nim. Oh really? Oh okay. Yeah. Oh my friend, you got to do yeah. yourself a favor. It's it's based it's off sad. a good book like, as well. Yeah, Kleenex box, and like, mm -hmm. it's pretty sad. It is, but uh, there's some great animation in that, yeah, and and it's very cool. different to the Disney animation style. It, it is. Um, yeah. Is that yeah. is that Don Bluth that that did the scene? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, and then of course, uh, one point about Don Bluth is that uh, he was the director also and producer of uh, American Five of American Tale. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that was actually a movie that beat sure uh, the, the Great Mouse Detective in the box office that year. Oh, did you Interesting. Also know, Josh? This came out yeah. on your uh, fifth birthday. Did you know that? Uh, yes, July second. That's right. The Great <laughs> the Great Mouse Detective. You mean? Yes. 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 Sorry. Yeah. Very cool. So I, I I I did I did see that. Yeah. Interesting um, history about this movie too is that it was essentially the movie 
that saved Walt Disney Studios Animation mm -hmm. Wing. Yeah, we we saw we yeah. talked about that on Lighting the Pipes a, a while back now when uh, I don't remember when it was exactly, but yes, I remember mentioning it kind of casually and flippantly, but it turns out that there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah, the last film that they did, uh, The Black Cauldron, which I believe you recently read the book series on. Yeah, I'm uh, a big fan of The Black Cauldron, even though I understand it, it kind of tanked as it departed from a lot of what the Disney method asked. Yeah. yeah. But even before then, previously before The Black Cauldron, like I've been after like the rescuers, their box office and their animation style was going mm -hmm. down. Like it was very lackluster. The critics weren't warming to the mm -hmm. Disney movies like they used to post Jungle Book. And so it just wasn't happening for Disney anymore. But before the, the big mm -hmm. takeover that occurred in uh, 1984 at Disney Studios, the head of the, the CEO at the time was Ron Miller. Yes. And in 84, yep. he approved uh, The Great Mouse Detective into production uh, based on the children's books Basil of Baker Street by mm -hmm. Eva Titus. And Eve, Eve Titus. Eve Titus, sorry. Eve Titus, my apologies. Sorry. Um, and what happened is that uh, Ron Miller got ousted uh, well, he stepped down, essentially, and uh, Michael Eisner, former of Paramount, took over Disney as CEO with uh, his co-executive, uh, uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg. And Katzenberg was put, in, was put in charge of the film division of Walt Disney. Yep. And one of the things that he brought to scrutiny was the animation division. Mm -hmm. So this was kind of a make and break for the animation division. And uh, a lot, and so like you got like, these directors like John Musker, Dave Missioner, mm -hmm. uh, Bernie Mattinson, these guys had to come up with something uh, to save the studio, to save not, not the studios per se, but the animation team. Yeah. Uh, and so The Great Mouse Detective is what came out of that, essentially. Can I ask you guys a question just before we get into talking about the film? Now, Jeff, you might know this. Josh, you might know this. Um, I've always kind of wondered, you see these animated features, there's often two or three, or in this case, with Ron Clements added to that trio, you mentioned four directors. Now, what exactly that, is yeah. the role of a director in an animated film, Josh? Obviously, there are some things that, that transfer over from set to, you know, to page quite easily from my mind. I, I get it. But in other ways, I'm thinking, how like, and why do we have such uh, a group as such? Maybe they have different directors doing different aspects of the animation, and then maybe that's why they broke it up into four pieces. Like, I'm just kind of guessing here, but I noticed I, I saw that right away that there was four directors. I'm like, that's a lot. But then mm -hmm. I'm thinking, well, maybe it has something to do with the actual animation process. Like, I, I'm mm -hmm. trying. To, I was trying to think like if other Disney animated films had more than one director. Uh, and maybe maybe this is a good... Uh, well, yeah, these guys work together on, uh, or at least uh, Musker and Clements work together on Aladdin and Little Mermaid after this. Little Mermaid. Oh, so yeah, after little... this. So well, that, that, after. that was after, but uh, basically, like, the director, per uh -huh. se, like any, like a film director, he basically oversees the entire vision of the project. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's style, yeah. ensuring the narrative comes together, and of course, when it comes to animation, I guess like just the palette and the colors, and uh, he's basically overseeing the entire production process. Now, with the animation director, they're sort of like in charge, I guess, of the of of the construction of the animated sequences. Okay. And we do know that different animators are assigned to different characters. Yes, like, of course. There yeah. was in, in the making of the Melgrave Mouse Detective, there was one animator assigned, for example, to Radigan specifically. Mm -hmm. Now, this guy Glenn Keane, my sister is really big on him. He is the son of the cartoonist Bill Keane, mm -hmm. who created the Family Circus. 
Mm-hmm. Oh. And, interesting, and, in, and interesting about uh, Glenn Keane is that all his life, he is unable to form visual images in his head. So what? he has some kind of mental block where he cannot oh. do that. It's a mental condition, apparently. Wow. And, and so what Glenn and so Glenn Keane, just I guess he just drew his whole life so he could visualize things, I suppose, right? Oh. It's kind of incredible that he'd have that debilitating mm-hmm. kind of yeah. uh, characteristic that would you know that would you would, you would see that would prevent mm-hmm. him from being an artist but actually it made him excel at <laughs> it makes me think of like daredevil where it's like well he lost his he lost his vision but he gained quite a few things from losing mm-hmm. his vision that's yes, I, but I, not I just... all blind boys are trained by ninja masters either what or have, oh, or, man. Or have radar sense. <laughs> i totally thought that was the case now you just spoil that for me now talking in terms of animation Really, The Great Mouse Detective isn't groundbreaking per se. Uh, it's using the same kind of style animation they're using before. But yeah. one of the key sequences uh, is the Big Ben sequence, uh, the yeah. climatic fight between Basil and Radigan in the film. Mm-hmm. And they actually incorporated CGI into That's the right. sequence yeah. for the first time. Mm-hmm. So you had a mixture of the single cell animation with the CGI that made for quite an actual exciting sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, the artists uh, were actually allowed into Big Ben's clockworks to observe, oh. uh, to observe the you know the cogs and wheels of, of the whole setup there, uh, and they were in there for one hour exactly because they had to get out <laughs> before the bell rang. To, before the bell rang, and they weren't deafened, oh, right? Like yeah, poor, for sure. Like poor, like poor Radigan there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, guys, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, in terms of the story of the film, I think we should just say a little bit more about how Katzenberg and Eisner and and during this this takeover, how they still managed uh, to benefit from this picture. Because as Josh correctly intimated, the animation arm of the Walt Disney Studios was kind of in the tank at this point. And while they hadn't really written, you know, written it out on paper that we're going to ax this, they had, they they basically came as close, I think, behind closed doors to cutting that side of things after a few flops that Josh mentioned. And this was going to be the one which, because it was already in development, would be kind of their last chance, right? Their last kick. And, you know, essentially, yeah, essentially. So the the joke that, um, you know, the joke that Sherlock Holmes saved the animation studio is, is kind of true in a sense, because this film did do very well uh, upon initial release, and it wasn't slammed in the same way that some of the other ones were. It didn't, I mean, it returned to the musical side of things, which Disney had kind of cut out of its uh, recipe for pretty, the pretty last couple of films. songs, though. They're okay. I didn't mind <clears throat> Low-key yeah. low songs, but I, I, I think when we start going through the, the yeah. film, I'm, I'm, I, there's some interesting things in the music here that I want to talk about. Yeah, sure, and sure. Uh, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll, so. we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get into Mancini's score in those musical numbers as well, mm-hmm. uh, well particularly yeah. that one there by Melissa Manchester that they had yeah. in the film. Yeah. Yes, very interesting, very curious, yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, quite, quite a bit, mm-hmm. yeah. It's, it's... Very furious, you might say. I'm just, <laughs> oh. just kidding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, gentlemen, um, I am prepared to light my pipe and to start talking about this story. Are you guys? Sure. Oh, absolutely, yes. yeah. Ooh, okay, yes. excellent. So let's light the pipes and get right down to it then. Um, as with as with the, our earlier episode this year, we're going to review the film not using our pipes acronym, which we do for our stories, but with our 
other scoring system that we use on uh, our Bond by Numbers show, where we look at the story, the acting, and the atmosphere. So our acting in this case will be the voice actors and sort of the uh, you know the dimensions that the human quality bring to this picture. Uh, the atmosphere will involve the same as it does um, with any film review, I suppose. The music, the setting, the uh, the layout design. Uh, the layout design, that's right, the color palette and all that stuff. And the story is the story. So story is a story. Yeah. <laughs> so guys, given given that this is a children's supposedly a children's show, a children's cartoon, um, let's start with the story. Do we like the simplicity of it or is it a bit too is it a bit too low concept for most children? It, I to be honest, I was gonna say it's a pretty simple story but at the same time that i'm like wait it's a disney movie and it's kind of it's a different like honest i'll, I'll be honest with you and this is no no by no means a, a slight towards it because obviously it, it it it's very important in you know as we know now like sort of uh in in disney as a whole and and how it's saved you know uh how it kind of saved it mm-hmm. is that i was like I, it almost didn't feel like a disney movie to me like it had the songs in there and I think that's why when I was a kid, I didn't even think it was a Disney movie because hmm. I, I'll be honest with you, I, I didn't watch this when I was a kid. I would always kind of be like a stickler for like, if it's not Disney, I'm probably not going to watch it. Other than, like, of course, I was talking about The Secret, uh, the secret of Nim. <laughs> mm-hmm. But um, but it's a good movie. I thought the, the plot was pretty straightforward. I mean, it's it's not a very long film, but it's I guess it's, a, it's about the appropriate length for an animated full-length feature. Um, but at the same time, you have to understand, like, it, it, it is kind of hard to make, uh, a, you know, a decent product, uh, but also make it straightforward, uh, captivating as, as a as sort of like a family slash children's film, you know, in a nice little tight package. Mm-hmm. But um, so it's funny because when I was watching, it's like, OK, it's it. And I'll be honest, it's not my favorite Disney movie by far, because I, I still feel it doesn't feel like a like a Disney movie per se. But uh, I thought it was well done, and I, I did I did like it. I, it definitely has a lot of those cute aspects of Disney, where you get you get kind of drawn into like the cuteness of the characters and, and, and little little intricacies and details, uh, because um, Olivia is like the cutest thing ever, and her little mm-hmm. accent or is super cute, and that drew that drew me in. Um, yeah, but, they, they never actually got an actress to play uh, that character. Uh, the actress that they had in there, I'll just get her name now. Suzanne Polachek. Susanna Polachek, yeah. She was actually just the addition for the role. She was only like, if you look when she was born, like she wasn't, she was basically the age of Olivia, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds when, like it, yeah. She did it, yeah. She was just a Scottish girl that they got for the role, yeah. And of course, her father, uh, Hiram Flaversham, that is the great Alan Young, who mm-hmm. everyone knows played Scrooge McDuck in the mm-hmm. Disney in the Disney films. And a great many oh, other things yeah, as well. Yeah, that's what, oh yeah. man. I was like, I know that voice. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's a great actor, great voice actor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. And yeah, then we have man. Uh, Barry Ingham, who was uh, Sherlock Holmes, who was Sherlock Holmes, sorry, uh, Basil, Abake, uh, Basil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a well-known Shakespearean actor uh, who passed away a couple of years ago, actually. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah. Not long ago. Yeah. And Val Betson, he's the uh, he's the voice of uh, Dawson. He's an American mm. who grew up in England, but went back to America, I guess, just to, to be a teacher, I believe. And uh, eventually um, he, he was asked, to, he, he, but he got the voice worker playing Dawson. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's well known for doing like American, uh, 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 sorry, British accents in American animated productions. That's what he's known for. Um, 
Another voice actor, Candy Candido, he was the voice of Fidget. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. uh-huh. Well, he did. He did a lot of Disney films. He, he did. I just, yeah. I, I just, I that. Yeah. Wow, yeah, yeah. And of course, you got Frank Welker. He's a he's a well known, um, mm-hmm. not just a, a, a well known voice actor. I mean, he was the voice of uh, Megatron, for God's sake, oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. and, and Cobra Commander. But he was also, ah, he was also Toby. Talking. He was also Toby. He was doing all those gurs <laughs> and stuff. And I guess. Yeah, uh, Toby yeah. So good. Pretty, pretty you know, I, this is just before we go further. We're talking about voice and we're talking about character, so we might as well mention this here. Isn't it interesting how even in like the animal world where the mice and the rats all have voices, the dog and the cat still don't. And I, fa- I found it interesting because like even in the animal world, someone has to be subservient, right? Someone well, that, has got, someone's got to be yeah. answering the call. It's the, the food chain, I guess, or, or, or not the food chain. But it, the it's, opposite um, of the food chain. Well, I guess, yeah. But it, yeah, it's kind of like if this is uh, Charlie Brown, they're they're like the, the, the adults, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. As long as someone is feeding them, the crafts don't give a shit. It's right. No, you're right. You're right. <laughs> the crafts don't, don't give a shit. Okay. I guess I can see how those words were related. Yeah. The, so yeah. So the, yeah. So, 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 so the cats don't give a darn if you know who's feeding them. So yeah. no, they don't. They really yeah. don't. This big I, rat in a, in a uh, this this big rat in a black suit and a cape is uh, mm-hmm. is offering me, uh, you know, mice to eat. What ifs? Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, he looks pretty big. I probably don't want to fight that rat anyway. It's probably too much effort. I think that was that was what Felicia's thinking was, and Probably. obviously her, she was being neglected by her owners, right? So she went down there to uh, get food. Well, or I saw just a cat, or just a cat, and just gets food whenever whenever it wants. She definitely so. didn't skip any meals. She yeah. didn't skip any meals, but I do think that that Radigan has some control over Felicia because oh, hypnotics. I, well, I mean, he rings the bell, yeah. So there's there is that certainly that sort of Pavlovian thing going on, but there's also the fact that when he tells. Felicia to let go of Fidget, yeah, the bat. She does comply. You know, I mean, difficult as he is to swallow, <laughs> she does uh-huh. comply. Is she a stray cat? Is she someone's cat? Is there someone on the street saying Felicia, Felicia, or 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 like, is this Radigan's pet? That's just another rotten sort of sewer dwelling creature. Yeah, because uh, I had thought about that too. I was like, how does he? Like, well, I think that also. I I think. I think that maybe a point of the cat being in there and him, you know, sort of having power over the cat is showing how powerful he is. Mm-hmm. Obviously, being on the food chain is yeah. that rats and mice are something that cats obviously, we, Good point. you know, and then they eat. Mm-hmm. But I mean, really, like, and so I think it shows his power is like mm-hmm. this rat has power over a cat. Yeah, and that's deliberate, right? But the same way the fucking mouse has control over the, well, no, the exactly, hound. Exactly. It's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, my yeah. big question Interesting how like the Mostum and England had parallel wars. I love it. Yeah, I love yeah. Like yeah. Dawson's returning from Afghanistan, so yeah. all these mice <laughs> oh, man. halfway yeah. across the world, a world that is much bigger in their from their perspective, uh-huh. all the way to Afghanistan to fight other other mice. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. is there did, was he up in the Khyber Pass or something? And, well, and there was, was, was like little mouse like uh, Mohajadeen shooting at them or. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I was curious to see how that happened. I was picturing him like was in. I don't know if you remember seeing those. Um, well, I mean, they're actually in the museum here, the, in the War Museum. But it's uh, it was like a cookie tin of the Queen, uh, and they're they're very uh, they're very expensive now, obviously, and they're collectibles. But I was wondering if like that's how he like traveled, because uh, there's like those like those kind of tins that would say like you know. 
uh, whatever, and it had the Queen Victoria on it. So I'm wondering if maybe mm-hmm. he, that's how he traveled, like, because he was probably with a surgeon, because obviously, if you saw at the beginning, he was kind of like in a carriage yeah. with sort of like Watson, right? So I'm wondering yeah. if, if he traveled with the surgeon in like a tin of something <laughs> or some kind of uh, whatever. I don't I'm you know, well, it's it's open. It's kit, it's open you know? for that. Yeah, That's, uh, just that that made me like pun intended. The, the yeah. you know the mouse wheel was turning when I was thinking about that. I'm like, yeah, I would like to see that. Yeah, and boy, that would I would not want to be a mouse in uh, <laughs> in Afghanistan, Khyber Pass, wherever. But what you say, though, Josh, about about their, you know, the mouse dumb having an equivalent to everything in the human world, I think that's Mosatoria. Yeah, but that's straight from the the Titus and Gardon books. Like, I'm fairly certain that that is, you know, that's picked straight up because Basil of Baker Street does, of course, live below Sherlock Holmes. Exactly. I wonder Mm -hmm. if Sherlock Holmes is wondering where Toby went. (laughs) <laughs> like during the yeah. time. Yeah. Well, Sherlock well, never Sean kept Holmes Toby. Was, no, probably too preoccupied with his seven percent solution to worry about where the dog got off to. You know, or he probably saw Basil and he's like, "This seven percent solution is probably thirty-five because uh, there can't be like a." <laughs> <laughs> like like a, a mouse just doing my work for me. I'm like, he's like, yeah. maybe I should uh, lay off. I literally, I literally picture if there was like a cutscene of like Sherlock Holmes, you know, getting into his uh, into his mode there, and then he yeah. sees like all the he sees Toby and uh, Basil and Olivia and Dawson <laughs> set off, and he going, yeah, exactly. Oh, I would have to readjust that solution. Yeah. After exactly. <laughs> you just see him like. Adjusted and put it backwards. Like I'm just gonna have some tea. Maybe Watson was right. <laughs> well, gents, um, why don't why don't we just say a thing or two about like a general plot summary, okay? Um, because we are we are getting towards. I think we're probably getting ahead of ourselves a bit. So let let's just um, for those who haven't seen the film, the Great Mouse Detective follows. Basil of Baker Street and his partner. He's described as his partner and friend, although they only meet when the film begins, so they're not that well established as a couple. But uh, by the end it, they are, though. But yes. Well, yeah. But by the end they are. By the end they are. Yeah. But it's it is like um, a prequel, I guess. For it's almost, it's almost like a setup for the. I'm, I'm most likely guessing the books to mm-hmm. come in, in, in many cases. Dawson is a major uh, as he returns from Afghanistan, and he meets a little girl who we've already introduced in our chat as Olivia, and Olivia has lost her father. Now, we've got a cold open to start this film. I like that. Which is really cool, even though there's quite a striking, <laughs> there's quite a striking, maybe jarring's a better word, contrast between the end of that cold open and Henry Mancini's main theme, which is all very light and pomp. And we've got yeah. her saying, Daddy! Daddy! And yeah. then it's, it's yeah. not exactly like an X-Files cold open, but nevertheless... No. Nevertheless, this it's little... like a mystery. It's like I think what they're trying to do is capture a mystery thriller yes, kind of yeah. aspect to it, right? That, they want of to go so. back to the yeah. Arthur Conan Doyle kind of style, I guess you could say. Although there wasn't really any cold opens in no. in the Sherlock Holmes books, though. No, they're definitely trying to capture the mystery side of things, and they do it successfully as the daughter watches her father get beaten up and beaten around by a one-legged bat. But anyway, um, this bat has been sent by Rattigan, who's played by Vincent Price. He has, of oh. course, the highest voice billing and. Um, in, in the entire production, yeah, as he should. Yeah. But um, Flaversham is the toy maker's name, and he is—he's been 
captured by Ratigan because Ratigan has another plan to sort of take over the mouse world. And what yeah. he intends to do is get Flabbersham, and as this is revealed throughout the film, he's getting Flabbersham to create a robotic queen mouse so that here at the eve of the Queen's Diamond Jubilee, he can replace the real queen with a robot queen that then will appoint him <laughs> as a ward. Prince Consort. <laughs> as Prince Consort. And he'll then become ruler and, and whatnot. And all, all of this, of course, uh, it, it's down to Basil of Baker Street uh, with Davison to find the young girl's father and, you know, um, wrap up this, this uh, fiendish plan and plot. Historically, I, w- I, w- I was just interested in the concept of Okay, so the queen made you prince consort. That's great. So you're basically Prince Philip or Prince Albert, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so in this in this context, you would then go to the prime minister and tell him to do these things. The prime minister would go, um, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who's the prime minister? Yeah, of Mousedom, yeah. Who is the yeah, mouse prime minister? Who's, who's Moused Israeli? Or or I, I, I don't know the, uh, who the prime minister was in 1897. So, mm-hmm. yeah. That would have foiled Radigan's plans terribly, the fact that the Prime Minister's office would be like, no, because at that point, that's what they were saying to the Queen anyway. Indeed, yes. And so it's Bas- it's down to Basil to kind of uncover Radigan's plan and return Flabbersham's daughter to the toy maker once freed and sort of, you know, save Mousedom from Radigan. And of course, Radigan is, he is the Moriarty to uh, Basil Sherlock. And mm-hmm. I found it strange, you know, that, Sherlock had Sherlock that Basil had a framed picture of Radigan in his little den. <laughs> I guess. Uh, yeah, I thought it was kind of I thought it was kind of funny. It's like I hate him so much that I have a nice smiling picture <laughs> on my mantle. Uh, well, maybe it's one of those <laughs> motivators, right? It's one of these things to get him yeah, sort of exactly. g'd up. Yeah, yeah. I thought I you see, should actually, have had it on I actually see personally. in their in their past. I can actually see Radigan, particularly in that portrayal. Uh, I can definitely see him giving that to Sherlock Holmes as a gift or something like that to mm-hmm. Basil as a gift. Got to stop mm-hmm. doing mm-hmm. this. <laughs> yeah, well, we're going to probably do that quite a bit over the next little while. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the gist of the story, and and I suppose it's coming basic, back, but but it yeah. works as a as a kids movie. Yes. I think it's not complex. It's it's not complex enough. It's not too complex for children, mm-hmm. and at the same time, it's not. Um, uh, too kitty for an adult, I guess you could say. Yeah, and that that is part of the the magic of an animated p- picture, isn't it? You know that kids are going to be watching it, and you want your adults to be entertained while they're watching it. But I must say, as a Sherlock Holmes fan, I was a little disappointed that there weren't more nods to the canon in this film. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, I can see there was a couple of things. Like, for example, there was the ashes, the cigar, this, the ashes on the desk, mm-hmm, which. Mm-hmm indicate, you know, from the study of Scarlet, you know, his study of different ashes from cigars. Uh, uh-huh. Then you also have Fidget himself, who I think is a reconstruction of Jonathan Small and Tonga from The Sign of Four. Because yep, yep. He, he is, not to mention the color of his skin, which does have yeah. some racist connotations there. But uh, the peg leg, for example, and just the just, and then also him being kind of also like a, a Moran to mm. profess to Radigan's Moriarty, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree. I agree with what you're saying, but I don't quite get the racist thing you're saying. I mean, the bat is black, right? And I mean, yeah. while you could say that that's just a convenience, the way that the way that he talks and stuff, because I was watching, I remember watching the sign of four, the the adaptation, the bread adaptation, mm-hmm. and the way that Tonga is grunts and all this kind of stuff. I don't know, like the way that Tonga talks, it just reminds me of that. And then you have the peg leg on top of that, and I just put the two together. I don't know if that was their intention, but I, I, I just something that I noticed. 
they probably would have, would have been blind to that when they were doing it. You know what I mean? Oh, well, I don't think they were blind to it at all. I think you're onto something that I, I just didn't give enough value I to when I watched thought, it. I kind of thought there might have been something to that, That's to be honest with you. But, I, I mean, I wasn't sure. And, again, I don't really know the the, the character of which you're, you're, you're saying that it's based on. But when I was looking at, at the character, um, you know, fr from the movie, um, I, I kind of wondered if that was um, – you know, Fidget was kind of supposed to be like a almost like a caricature of of, of that kind of a, a henchman, but I, I wasn't sure. Mm. Well, yeah, I, th I think he probably is, but I, I'm not entirely convinced that um, I'm, I'm not entirely convinced that there's there's a sort of racial thing there going on with the Tonga of the sign of the four. But maybe 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 there is. I just think a bat is sometimes a bat, you know. Yes, oh, of course. Well, I think I that's mean, most likely yeah. the case here. But it just reminded me of that, and the mm -hmm. peg leg reminded me of Jonathan Small. The cigars. The I think you're definitely ashes, right there. The cigar ashes remind me of, of course, the study in Scarlet. Mm -hmm. uh, then you have Toby, of course, right? The the uh, mm -hmm. the hound that they use in the sign of four to track down Jonathan Small and Tonga. Yep. yep. Um, of course, he was at Pynchon's. Uh, he was in the, the animal stuffer's place, but mm -hmm. uh, I guess I guess Holmes adopted him. I suppose after all this time. Yeah. Well, it's probably too inconvenient going halfway across town and getting them all the time <sighs> for his cases. <laughs> I, I like the fact that Fidget was a bat. I like because and I mean there wasn't a lot of diversity for like if you want to say like the species in the film because it was the majority of it was just the mice or a rat. But there was that like one little. I think he was a lizard. In the, the in the, the bar, a turtle, was that a lizard as well. Or was it a turtle? There was a turtle. Yeah. Oh, it was a turtle. Okay. Yeah. I kind of I, thought I it was. I, th I thought it was a lizard. It could. It could. Because I didn't either. see a it shell. But anyways, it was like yeah. you know, he, he yeah, had a turtleish, had a turtle-like face. I guess you could mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. But then I was like, I just thought it was weird. But I'm like, well, I guess it is close to the water, so that would make sense, I guess. But. Uh, and I suppose you could also say, guys. <laughs> That, you know, the way Basil, really only at the beginning do we see this sort of, we see it at two occasions, once when he's trapped and uh, later in the film. But at the beginning, the way, you know, he's trying to, he deduces Dawson, he, then he fails to yeah. link the bullets up and then he sinks into this sort of violin depression. And, and I can see yeah. that being a character point. But and again, when he gets captured, but there's, I didn't think there were a lot of nods to the canon beyond those first two novels, Josh. I didn't see any references to the specific stories. Did you? Not, not particularly. No, uh, I think they, yeah, I think they glossed over those things. Mm. Perhaps that's probably how they were able to avoid a copyright uh, attack. From, yeah, you um, could be right. The, the <laughs> Doyle that's possible residents, because I, I don't know if uh, Eve Titus was ever. Sent, no, I'm, I'm uh, not sure. A, a notice from Doyle's lawyers or whatever, but it's mm -hmm. uh, yeah. There was nothing mentioned about in the research that I did on the making of the film, anyways. Mm -mm. No, no, but maybe no, they didn't I, want to I go didn't. up against Walt Disney Studio and their and. Eisner's lawyers as well. I mean, yeah, like, yeah, that would be an interesting battle. I mean, I'm sure Disney can can probably vet better lawyers than um, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle's estate. I looked at the credits quite carefully, and nowhere in the credits did it say, you know, made with the uh, with right. the help of, with the help of or permission of the Arthur Conan Doyle. But it did say based on the stories by Eve Tite, you know. So it, it did. Yeah but, but, yeah, but I guess that's because I guess she's the one who took the copyright run because yes. she's uh, the one that's okay. making yeah. a character about Sherlock Holmes as mm -hmm. a mouse, essentially. But, mm -hmm. but I guess because of the way that she portrayed Basil in his mannerisms, that he's slightly different to Holmes in that fashion. He's more, he's much more excitable, I guess you could say, and um, mm -hmm. a little more positive, uh, more positive and more, I guess, more um, overt 
yeah. or more exuberant, yeah, more exuberant, extroverted than yeah. the Holmes that that we know of. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's how they're able to get around those, those copyright laws in that sense. So if if we talk about um, Ratigan, okay, just as a character, um, what do you make of his insecurity about being a rat? Because I find that this is this makes him an interesting, interesting. character. Yeah, it does, and it that's a large. I think that's an interesting character flaw. Like I think that's maybe why he's so. I am mighty, and he's surrounded. To be honest, oh, actually, I'm not going to get into politics, but I was just going to say, like, <laughs> he surrounds himself with mice, and obviously, rats are sort of like, you know, they're more, uh, they're bigger, you, they're bigger, but they're also you consider a, a rat like, you know, meaner or mm-hmm. or oh, yeah. more vicious know, and sinister, kind of, yeah, more, exactly, right? More feral, more yeah. feral, exactly, more aggressive, yeah, and, and and so, and I think if he surrounds himself with smaller you know, dim-witted mice, him being a rat, because, rat, rat, I mean, rats are supposed to be pretty smart too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he has and there's definitely some eugenics in there, that's for sure. So, so I and it, obviously the sore spot is like, if someone calls him a rat, he doesn't like to be called what he actually is, and so obviously he goes off the handle. Self-hatred. Uh, and, and, and he goes, exactly. And then, because uh, obviously there's something there, obviously, and uh, it was nice at the end where it showed him kind of just go nuts, and then yeah. slowly, yeah. like, he would go you know, a more feral, more feral, and like his clothes would rub up and it eventually show like, you know, he's just a big rat, right? So. It's kind of, it's a little bit disturbing too, in a way, because essentially mm-hmm. as a rat, I guess he feels himself as an outsider yeah. Uh, yeah. in society. And yeah. so that's the reason why maybe he thinks he's better than all the other mice. And, and that's why he tries to mm-hmm. board over. Well, the yeah, he's yeah. the best mouse because he's not even a mouse, but he's bigger and stronger and meaner. He's like, look, I'm the best mouse. It's like, I'm the king of the mouse. You're like, you're not even a mouse. So but like but is he is, <laughs> but I wonder Jeff like just to build on what you're saying is yeah. he is he king of the mice because he's just a crappy rat and the other rats don't take there him seriously, go. like yeah. does he not does he not play with rats because he's really just a schoolyard bully and he'd oh. like to pick on the smaller species? Uh, yeah, that's what I think it is because uh, very possible. Yeah, because yeah, if he's a rat and he hung around the rats, he'd probably yeah. be you know this you know, small guy uh, exactly or or he wants to hide that he's cool. a rat. Yeah. yeah. So we've got an inferiority complex then, really. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's yeah. called the Napoleon of crime, right? Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. The horror of my every waking moment. Yes. Hmm. Now, I believe, twisted for now I, I believe Sherlock Holmes refers to Moriarty as Napoleon of crime as well. He does, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there are some similarities there for sure. And I, I suppose also, Josh, the Tower Bridge job. Uh, and I do like... I like kind of how the film does that narratively. Like while, while Radigan is singing his song, uh, he mentions the Big Ben caper and the Tower Bridge job. Now, those are both throwaway sort of, you know, clever little London-based crimes yeah. that he was involved in. But yes. it also suggests when we get to the end of Big at, at Big Ben that he's going to be able to handle himself up there at those heights. And I kind of think that that's a, maybe I'm giving it too much credit, but I think that that's a neat little way to drop in a foreshadowing about, you know, I've been up to these heights before and I'm not afraid of them type thing, you know? Oh, you know, I, man, I, I didn't even catch Absolutely. That. And remember, too, another thing, another allusion to, to the uh, Holmes novels as well is, the, as I mentioned, you have that Reichenbach fall. Of course, yeah, 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 yeah. And 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 the fake out with home with uh, Basil's death too, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, so, totally. That's definitely and, one. And even, yeah. even when they're like falling together in the first part before they hit the uh, you know the spokes on the clock, the hands on the clock mm-hmm. or whatever, that reminded me of the Brett adaptation where it shows like um, Moriarty and Holmes like falling down the waterfall or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Of course, where you could see the the co- the cords holding on to the sun <laughs> yeah. of course as they're falling. But yeah. Uh, yeah. 
in the animated ones, you can take out the uh, stun cords, right? So Of course you can, yeah. <laughs> if there's anyone listening, uh, anybody who's got a good uh, or a better than us kind of view of the film with respect to the Holmes nods, if there's more that we're missing that you saw, because I did look for them, I really did, please let us know. Uh, it'd be great to get a list of these. Just uh, give us an email at lightingpipes at gmail.com or just find us on Instagram. Pop us a little message and, and, and share with us the other um, Conan Doyle canon nods from this film because there are a few and we're talking about them, but I'm sure there's more we've missed that the real serious yeah. fans might know. And before you do, and before you do, we do realize that that's Basil Rathbone speaking as Sherlock Holmes in, mm-hmm. in the film. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Nigel Bruce had passed away uh, long before, so he wasn't voicing mm-hmm. Watson. Some, some other one voiced Watson's voice. But I do think, though, that of all of the Watsons, Dawson's, Dawson's, <laughs> yeah. Dawson is the closest to Nigel Bruce. Bruce. Oh, I, absolutely, yeah. Bruce kind of established, I guess, for a long time what the cinematic version, television version of Watson would be like. Uh, yes, unfortunately, yeah. mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of the Nigel Bruce version of Watson. Personally. No, he's a bit too stupid. Yeah, Dawson mm-hmm. seemed a little. Yeah. Well, he is. He's deliberately made stupid, isn't he? In a couple yeah, of the later is. ones with uh, Rathbone. Yeah, I think once people, you know, I, w- I was glad, you know, I guess with like David Burke and Edward Hardwick and even. Jude Law, I was glad to see, you know, Watson going back to that dynamic that was established in the um, in the novels. Mm-hmm. Is, is that what you think that his name was Dawson then? Is the character? Maybe, maybe. Is that was Could, that because I was just thinking like with the way you guys are talking about them, like, is that why they? I was just curious. They might maybe have. I mean, maybe that's why. Well, uh, they just wanted something to sound like Watson, but wasn't Watson because. No, I know, but then, but you're Watson. also mentioning yeah. to me like the actor that played Watson, his name was Dawson. So I just thought that may have been like some kind of a nod to the actor. Then that's what. I mean. The actor, no, no, the guy that played um, Watson was uh, Nigel Bruce. Sorry, I thought you were saying something about Dawson. Like you, like there's another person that played. Okay, never mind. Forget. No, I, I meant what? If I said Dawson, I oh, you did. Watson. Okay, <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, this sorry, is going to happen a lot. Uh, this should be a drinking game for this episode. Is uh, <laughs> see how many times oh, we, yeah. uh, we miss out on Basil and Sherlock and Dawson and Watson and Mrs. Hudson and Mrs. Johnson. No, that's not. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> um, At least Radigan sounds nothing like. Moriarty, they didn't call him. This like, is true. Rat, yeah. Like Ratiarity or something like that. But any name with rat in it is going to be great for a villain, isn't it? Because it, it's just a word that connotes danger and evil and, and, and grossness. Except, so. Ratatou- except Ratatouille. Although I don't know how you feel about Ratatouille. Yeah, yeah I'm not a big fan of Ratatouille. I, I love love the movie. Know. Love the movie. Oh, but okay. um, I, I don't like the food as much. Oh, okay, fair, fair. Can we agree, guys? Can we agree that Radigan's got the best lines in this film? Oh, 100%. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Like, Vincent some of the stuff Price he says is great. Oh, it is. The other thing is, like, I like Price's voice. It's not too spooky. Like, because every time I, I was expecting to hear him speak, I was expecting Thriller, right? Like that, like, or like <laughs> Count Frightenstein. But his voice is a little higher pitched, and he's got, like, I don't know the proper term, but almost like a little more of like the lisp that he has. So it's not as creepy. Like it is obviously it's, it's, it's Vincent Price, but it's like a different version of Vincent Price's You're not voice. picturing and I, and I, Vincent Price when you're watching it. You know what I mean? No, I that's what I mean. Saying. It's like, like every once in a while I'm like, yeah, but I appreciated how it wasn't just like, oh, this is Vincent Price being, being Vincent Price, but just under a different name. It's like he's actually playing mm-hmm. like he, his voice is, is different yeah. and he's playing a different character, which I appreciate it. I've got a clip of Vincent Price talking about his performance in this. If you'd like to listen to it, guys. I would love to. Okay. Sure, yeah. 
First Base Disney is a, you know, a really magical name to me, and I had never been offered one of these parts, and I just wanted to do it. Radigan is the ultimate villain. He has got a huge sense of humor about himself, but dead seriousness at the same time about crime. He's a great actor. He's playing the great villain. Besides being the great villain, he is playing the great villain and adoring it, which is all great villains should be like this. This is his thing. And mine, too. He's a hero, isn't he? But a villain is always somebody that has to fool you all the time. He has many more facets to his character, many more sides to his humor. He has to be charming and witty and decadent and funny and, you know, everything going on at the same time. He's much more fun to play. You suddenly begin to see the character, the animation, taking on your humanity, which, of course, is what they want, because the more human the mouse or the rat is, uh, the better it is for the picture. There you mm -hmm. go. What do you think of that? Very wow. cool. Yeah, that is very cool. Definitely describes a lot of how like voice acting works in the sense where like they're able to capture the actor within the character, and you don't have an actor having to put on all this makeup and stuff to play the role, yeah. you know. Um, so I can definitely speak to you know to like uh, that is one of the best things about voice acting is the way how you how you can go as extra with it as much as you want, and then all you got to do is have the animators just draw it for you, mm -hmm. right? So that's mm -hmm. what that's really cool. I am a little surprised that they hadn't asked him to do any kind of other voice acting roles because it, it really does. Like, I don't know if he's just, you know, flouting Disney because he got a check. Hmm. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, but it, it does sound like he was genuine. It's funny that Disney hadn't asked him. But I suppose when you look yeah. at guys like Alan Young, you know, who they had in their tank, I'm guessing that they would reuse so many of these actors oh, they had yeah. good relationships with who could do different things, right? Like... Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, who's yeah. the dude, the Looney Tune guy, Mel? Mel Blanc. Yeah, Blank. Mel Blanc. I mean, he he did all sorts of voices. So I I know that the Disney World had its own sort of uh, collection of actors that it would sort of draw upon. But Vincent Price yes. is is just so iconic uh, to use a tired phrase. But I I like the um, I, I kind of like the idea of what he was saying at the end there with his, you know, how you see the animation start to take over to your own your own personality and i yes. you, you can you can catch a, a video of him performing some of the lines on youtube and it's really cool because one of the things i don't think voice actors get enough credit for is the idea that they are acting right first of all yes, and they should yeah of course yes. but he is really into it like you know everything you would imagine about the vincent price performance is there in the studio as he's recording the voice yeah. of radigan it's it's so cool to see and yeah. um I've I've always enjoyed Vincent Price's work, even in that sort of, oh, yeah. even in that in the role he played in Laura, you know, which was a little yeah. unexpected for him as a younger well, actor. I, but. I when I was a kid, I mean, obviously this was in um, in reruns, but man, mm -hmm. I used to watch Count Frankenstein like every mm, morning, and I would yeah. laugh my ass off. <laughs> and he was great in, as Count Frankenstein. And he's great in this. He really is. Like, yes. if yeah. you got a problem with the film, um, fair dues. But it, it's probably fair. not with it's probably not with uh, Vincent it, Price. Know, yeah, I, I don't think anyone really ever has a problem with Vincent Price. And if and if they do, that I mean, you go ahead, you can. It's a free world, more or mm -hmm. less. Yeah. And, but uh, I, it, you would probably be not in the majority. <laughs> I really like how it goes from like he has a calm, menacing demeanor, almost gentlemanly at times, you know, mm -hmm. when he's talking to Fiverrsham at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then he takes that doll and while he's talking about Olivia, you know, I hope nothing yeah. happens to her. And then he squeezes <laughs> it like really angrily. And you see like the, I guess the rat, the 
Hulk come, yep. come, come into his eyes, right? Like, totally. he has that Bruce Banner moment, but like, is he controlling, you know, the rage in that moment? And he's mm. like, finish it! And then he goes back to his other demeanor, mm-hmm. and then gradually throughout the film, he kind of, like, unravels, I guess unravels. you could say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, exactly. Even that sequence, like, in the musical sequence, when they do his song, he just goes, I have the greatest crime ever, and his hair mm-hmm. becomes all discombobulated and stuff yeah. and then he combs it back into into place right and do you think um, do you think that's the animators saying you know giving you a little bit of what's going to happen later where he's going to break out into the full rat yeah you know i think that's, i think it's part of it i also think when you see a character and obviously he's he's well to do and he's well quaffed and all that kind of stuff and he's you know he's very proper but he's evil and then he's kind of just it was an exclamation so then it kind of shows him being disheveled and sort of like or like a moment of just sort of exuberation and so he's kind of caught off guard so that's why it shows him being disheveled it's mm-hmm. one of those kind of moments right it's like mm. um, it works yeah like if you see like in a cartoon where like there's a big guy kind of like him like maybe a, like a, a large character and like he he yells and like his collar comes out and then he has to tuck it back in kind of thing right so i think the hair where he has mm-hmm. to do his hair again is something similar to that but mm-hmm. i think you're right that it's kind of foreshadowing as to him becoming disheveled and almost almost like a werewolf the way he kind of like uh, transforms when he's in the clock tower in, yeah. in big ben yes is it is it a transformation jeff or is it is it him finally donning realizing recognizing realizing, the penny has yeah. dropped and that yeah. i'm i can't keep up this facade anymore i'm going to show you what i really am you know yeah oh well, yeah i think that's yeah. right I'm an evil monster. I That's have this, right, yeah. There are people out there who act, they're dressed like a gentleman, yeah. but are they a gentleman? Mm-hmm. Deep down belief, they're actually monsters, right? Yeah. So beware. Yeah. There are adults there who have, who are authority figures out there, but in <laughs> fact, just because they keep on a demeanor, doesn't, and, and they yeah. look good, and they look Anyone all polished. Can wear a suit. Anyone can wear a suit. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, guys, I do like a couple things. Uh, I, I just kind of want to bring them out here. These are kind of high points for me with respect to Radigan. I love the line. I love the line he gives before he sends uh, Fidget to the cat, right? Where he says, <laughs> it's such a simple line, but it, I chuckled. You, uh, you've been hanging upside down for too long. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> I thought that was just yeah, kind of clever, you know? That was, that was good. And I also liked, uh, I, I actually really liked the fact that he recorded his own song to say goodbye to, uh, <laughs> to Basil great. and that Dawson. Was- it was a good little song. It was just like the oh proper tune, yeah. Ruby Goldberg death trap, basically. Yeah, yeah. very cool. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. funny. He's a great little villain in a seventy-five minute film. Like he really is fun yeah. to watch. I, I would say he's up there in my top Disney villains. I'd have to say mm-hmm. he's up there well, now. I guess he's up there. Yeah, I didn't because again, I never really watched it as a kid. But mm-hmm. uh, he's he's a good villain. And you know what's funny? I just thought of this now. I'm like, you know, with, with that uh, with his little contraption that he created to 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 kill uh basil i'm like wow that's literally mousetrap yeah. <laughs> like that's right yeah I'm you're like, absolutely wow, right yeah literally minus the axe and yeah. the, well, and, uh, and you know the, the derringer and the derringer <laughs> and the anvil <laughs> yeah i guess okay so, jeff i i think different. i think your observation's right and i reckon that the filmmakers knew that and were you know they, they recognized it as being on the nose but also quite funny yes of course. You know, and the adults would have got a chuckle out of that the way we have, obviously. Now, did anybody think that Radigan's song, did anyone, mm-hmm. was anyone reminded? I guess people wouldn't back then, but I certainly was. I had pictures of uh, Homer Simpson in the Stonecutters cult or, or, or whatever. I don't know if you guys remember that episode <laughs> yeah, yeah, of Homer yeah. Toys, oh, of like a, a Masonic group, and Patrick yeah, yeah. Stewart guest starred. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Remind me of the Stonecutters yeah. song, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I can just maybe. picture Radigan like recording that. It's kind of like Charles Manson, like all of his old fronies, like, and how was that? Oh, it's very good, very good, yes. <laughs> like when Charles Manson was recording his Beach Boy song, but it wasn't good enough, and everyone's like, oh, it's really good. Oh, you could be a Beach Boy. It could be great. <laughs> I will say this. So far, Radigan is a much more interesting villain than Professor Moriarty ever was. Sorry, but... Oh, gosh, yes, feel. yeah, yeah. <laughs> But again, we never really got a taste of his personality in no, the book. So, no. you know, it was very like almost like the anti Holmes essentially is, is what he was. One that's thing that, I was yeah. going to say about this film is like, as much as it's, you know, Disney film and like it's, it, you know, obviously there, uh, it wasn't cheesy for, for it being all about mice. Mm-hmm. It wasn't cheesy at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I love this scene when like uh, Basil is trying to get Toby on the hunt and he's giving him like yeah. the. Uh, fidgets cap or whatever and yeah, uh-huh. yeah. that was good that was pretty cool yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. i liked what he made his ear into steps i love that yeah <laughs> i love how disney captures the mannerisms of animals too oh like, yeah toby was totally a dog 100 percent. oh man mm-hmm. i loved yeah. i was mm-hmm. like and like i said toby reminded me of this pound puppy i had as a kid yeah 100 percent. oh, oh man. man pound puppies that's pound bringing puppies. me back that is yeah. i haven't yeah. thought of pound puppies probably since i last left mine in the trash there you go. Oh. Wow. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't have. Uh... Well, I used to have a silver one because uh, he kind of reminded me of uh, my old Weimariner Zeppelin a long time ago. I had the hound one where, like, I don't, do you remember how, like, you could make Pound him look puppies. like he was all happy, but then, like, wow. it kind of had, like, wire so you could, like, lift up his lips so his teeth were bared? You remember that? Anyways, I had man. Or maybe it oh, wasn't. Maybe it was another. Well, I had Pound Puppy. There's also another kind of. It was almost like a Pound Puppy. You could, like, flip up their lips so you, you could actually have their teeth bare so they could be in a guard dog or they could just be like a docile sure, sure. anyways nice. yeah, uh, going back to the story um <laughs> one thing i wanted to mention is like besides you know not having nods to holmes canon as, as not as much as you said scott mm-hmm. i do feel though that like they tried to show that basil was a sherlock holmes type yeah i'd like yeah. for example when he like shoots the when he does the ballistics test and he compares the two bullets and looks mm-hmm. and uses his science of deduction in order to determine you know where radigan is and stuff yes, like that that, that part like how that's they, good they threw that holmesian yeah. stuff in there just to kind of give it that authenticity of this is a sherlock holmes-esque story and uh-huh. and you can kind of enjoy it as a sherlock holmes fan in its own way you know what i mean yes and that was of course coupled with the dawson moments of i really don't understand you or something of that nature like uh you astound me basil right and so we yeah. did we did have that interplay but i think you're right josh and and i'll i'll credit that you know where he finds the sewer dust on the coal lamp residue or whatever and then he's like yeah let's go find where these lamps are like only would you you know they're looking for a lamp near the sewer near the riverside and that's where yeah. they then go and they find the bar and all that stuff so i mean and, uh, and he was in disguise like sherlock Holmes. he was too. yes I mean, yeah he never yeah. had the putty on of course he had a straightforward mask when he comes in as the fu manchu dude at the beginning oh, yeah mm-hmm. and and uh, and then of course you know when he comes in as the um as the I guess as the captain and Watson as his mate in their disguise and stuff, mm-hmm. and then we get that whole cabaret show. Which yeah, is interesting in we got to talk. We got to we got to talk about this because this this part of the film is really strange to me. This is where the children's film becomes something something more. Dearest friends, dear gentlemen, listen to my song. Life down here's been hard for you. Life has made you strong. Let me lift the moon with my 
We're we're in Jessica Rabbit territory. And like there's a lot of drinking. Like you wouldn't see that nowadays, but like back then, like you know, you'd see like the people smoke and like you know people are drinking. They're like they make it fun because you know they're all just hiccuping bubbles. But but we all know the drunk. If you ever had like an animated film, like like you know like let's say a Lego or or like a Disney movie, now you would never see anyone drinking. No, you're absolutely right. Smoking, right? No. And so, I mean, I mean that's just a product of the time. Or the big rat will feed you to his cat. <laughs> well, I mean, really. So, but, but it's funny, because I, I was just thinking that. I'm like, there's a whole scene about, like, you know, drunk, um, drunk, like, rude, um, horny. Yeah, they're mice, totally horny. Like, like uh, stevedores or whatever. Uh-huh. And it's just like, you know, it's one of those things. It's like, back then, it's fine. Like, no one, like, I watched it. Like, I would have watched that as a kid. I just was like, oh, it's funny. He's kind of drunk. And, you know, you just laugh about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But now, And then, and then like, nowadays, you couldn't have the people would be, like, up in arms, right? Yeah. Now, one thing I did go back and, and check on, and this is regarding the whole cabaret sequence with uh, Kitty Mouse, uh, Melissa Manchester here, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, is is that um, our first thing she says, watch me take off all my clothes. What she says is, <laughs> yeah. watch me take off all my blues. That's yeah. what she says. Yes, so but she then she that, then does say, "Let so me that's... be good to you, and I will do. I'll do. I'll do anything for you." Like, this and then kind of like Sex in the Stars and the Lion King. This is the Disney animators, I think, putting <laughs> in here. I Listen, dude, know. this is not Sex in the Stars. This is fucking Sex on the Stage. This is yeah. mouse. This is mouse sex. The mouse sex that we would expect to see in a bar full of criminals, prostitutes, and a performing octopus for whatever reason. But (laughs) no, there's no other way to dress it up. Like this is a horny mouse cabaret show and she's she's got mice leering at her and gr- you know grinding uh, against the table legs that she's 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 quite a torch you know torch singer yeah. and there's lots of booze but jeff's right there's a lot of booze in this scene and yes. it doesn't bother me it, it humors me and no, i think i think what you're saying is right as a kid i would have laughed at it and i wouldn't have yeah. got all of the sexual stuff but this no. is this is this is some pretty sexualized stuff for a Disney film, and I don't have a problem with that. But I think no. it needs to be mentioned that this ain't really yeah. the children's part of the film. No, it's definitely not. not. After this sequence, we then get the rat trap, which is a pretty mm-hmm, sorry, mm-hmm. The, sorry, the mouse trap, which is a very pretty uh, grim scene or set up, anyways. Is. And then you get the big climax, the takeover of Buckingham Palace. And then, of course, the big climax following that. So mm-hmm. the movie seems mm-hmm. to be on a scale of going from very cutesy from the beginning, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, as Radigan's planned, yeah, it gets pretty dark up until the end, essentially. I think that's kind of a very good trajectory for a story to go in that, in that sense. It is. So it, does, it does work. And as an adult watcher of it, um, you can see these kid things going past the kids' heads, but as an adult watcher, you're kind of compelled mm-hmm. towards it in, in a way, too. Did you find that sequence a bit inconsistent for the period? Especially, uh, especially, yeah. Especially the, the singing as well. It seemed more like a 20s, 30s kind of. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Flapper, yeah. flapper scene. Yeah. Well, yeah, flapper that's sequence. what it felt like. Exactly. I mean, yeah. Than, uh, 1897, you know, and uh, yeah, I guess they never had enough research on, you know, wow. essentially if that was a Victorian den, uh, there would be prostitutes there, 100%. 
It'd be yeah. a whole different environment, I imagine. And so. there was a lot less opium than I was people. expecting. <laughs> no. That whole scene is very interesting because it kind of, it, again, it kind of gets a little dark there. And if the parts after that didn't work, that could have really, really made the film suffer. Because, hmm. you know, it, especially just for like the content and, and, and everything, because it was, it's pretty odd. Uh, you know, there's innuendo and, you know, and, but, but it's also fun a moral to lesson to the... Oh, no, no it's And again, yeah, moral lesson, which also works for Disney. But I was yeah. going to say, like, it kind of got its legs, pun intended, because obviously we're watching, like, the peg leg guy run away. But yeah. if it didn't, that could have... That, that whole scene um, could have affected the rest of the film, if you know what I mean. It could have, yeah. It's possible. It could have been, been the point of... It could have been, been the point where it went downhill after that, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, Especially if it had a very kind of tame ending afterwards, like, like that yeah. would that would have been the weird kind of highlight of. Well, I saw the Great Mouse Detective, and it was pretty. It was okay. I mean, it had this really weird cabaret scene, but no yeah. one's talking about that scene. They're talking about yeah. the big fight on the belt on the Big exactly. Ben and, and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff, right? Like the climax is one of the things people talk about the movie all the time. Is that you know, and Professor Radigan yeah, exactly. was a great villain, and it was pretty scary at times. And that's the most talk. That's the kind of talk you get out of this film from people. And I will put out too that during that sequence as well, uh, like the sexuality being portrayed there, I think in a way is being vilified by the animators because Dawson is given a like they're associating Dawson being drunk and disorderly with him also being sexually attracted to Kitty Mouse there on the mm-hmm. stage, and mm-hmm. I think they're trying to they're, they're in a way they're showing the kids I, I guess in this sense here that this kind of behavior is all connected and that it's and this is also a place of low repute. Hmm. That Sherlock and they all break into a fight and a brawl at the very end. Yeah. So it kind of sends a message about this kind of lifestyle, you know, to the kids, in my opinion. So I think that's how they overcome that sequence, in, in my opinion, in my opinion. I think what it comes down to is that it, they they kind of made it into like sort of Disney slapstick kind of uh, slapstick humor, which then I think you could just have the kids kind of laugh and forget about the content, maybe. Because that, sometimes that happens, right? Because like... Uh, yeah, think yeah. about how violent certain certain cartoons are. It's like if you if you get the kids to just laugh, like, "Ah, he's funny. He fell down." It's sort of like it's almost sort of glossing over, like, well, you know, the what's actually happening. Where like the adults will sort of uh, see the underlying aspect. So I'm wondering if when that all started to happen, when they were throwing stuff at like Dawson on stage, and like <laughs> he ducks and then he hits the other guy, and then there's a bar fight. It's kind of, I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's violent and it has to do with, you know, being drunk in, 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 in a place of Ill, Ill repute, but it's obviously done in a comical way, which Disney's yes. really good at having these kind of, uh, you know, violent, but but sort of silly and and, and uh, sort of like lighthearted violence. Yeah. It you puts know, a veil over what's It puts being a veil afraid. over, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I got you there, Jeff. And w- especially with classic. Disney and even Merry Melodies and stuff like that. When you look at all the violence in, in, in early cartoons, you know, but it's but it's done in a lighthearted and, and and clever way. That's how they can get away with it being so violent. Let's move on, guys, to the to the finale inside Big Ben because we've all commented on how cool this uh, this finale is, and Josh is right yeah. in saying that when people talk about the film, this is what they talk about, right? And it is. It's also, I suppose 
quite an interesting play on the nursery rhyme hickory dickory dock right like we got mice running <laughs> up and down clocks and stuff and that, well i'm not actually i'm not i'm not trying that's good that's cute that's cute yeah i wasn't i wasn't trying to make a joke out of that i just mean like i think that i think that that is something kids will associate with mice and clocks and sure. it sort of works and obviously what, what's most striking about it with the computer animation that josh outlined at the beginning is the fact that radigan just goes wild here he loses all all sort of demeanor of uh, a, a polished citizen rat and yeah this is proper yeah. you know smart yeah. posh villain and he just becomes a fucking monster and i think it was done in a very i think it was i think it was well done especially with sort of the craziness of, of you know the the chasing within the cogs in the mm -hmm. uh, and the chaos of just trying to like navigate the the cold dark and sharp cogs of big ben and, and, and again with the contrast of, of Radigan sort of coming out of his quote unquote gentleman uh, demeanor. Yeah, that, yeah the noble demeanor which I noble villain but but quaffed demeanor. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah. Mm -hmm. It, it's yeah. uh, it's it's a great That's finale. Good. I liked it. It was it was fun it to is. see. And that One fall thing. off the Big Ben is is the fall over Reichenbach. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Essentially. And they never showed, you know, what happened, which is fine, you know. Mm -hmm. It's pretty uh, clear that that well, it's pretty flat. clear. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, one thing I did, and I, this is something that, because when I was a kid, I used to draw all the time, and like I wasn't necessarily good, but I just, it was something that I would always do, and I just, I really liked it. And I, and I was a big fan of the Rescue Rangers, and Chippendale, all that, all those guys, and I, I like how Disney, and and that's how I can really tell that it was Disney, is all the little things of of when they're trying to make it its own world but smaller and you could have all these little little things like how did they make the the you know the they made a hot air balloon out of a bunch of balloons and a, and a matchbook mm -hmm. and a handkerchief <laughs> and how did they make him chase they just let a air out of one of the balloons like it's it's these little things that i always really enjoy and sort of how they come up with these kind of little contraptions to show you know how the the smaller like and in this case it's it's a you know it's a it's a world of mice yeah. and it's just showing just sort of like the technology that they use to, um, and especially even if you look at, at, at Basil's, um, apartment, all the little things he uses, it, it's, it's quite neat. So I, that's something that I, I really appreciated. And I really like that chase scene sort of, um, up, up to the, the clock tower. Anyway, I just wanted to mention that I, I, I really enjoyed that. What, what did you guys think of the toy shop sequence? I thought it was pretty scary. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I thought it was yeah. scary. I, I actually did. Like particularly when he's yeah. dressed up as the where Fidget dresses up as the baby and the thing. Yeah. I thought that was quite creepy. That, that was creepy. Yeah, like for the middle section of the story, like I think it doesn't. It, it kind of pales to the climax, but mm -hmm. I think it works overall because you get that whole sequence introducing Toby and then going on the hunt and and then getting in and stuff and uh, and he got the whole and mm -hmm. they kind of set up also. Basil and da Dawson's relationship in there as well. And it also shows that, you know, Basil is all talk, you know, he's not as uh, hard as he seems to be, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, but totally. I think, I think, I think it worked narratively for the story as well. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think of the score? Henry Mancini's music. Did you like it? Did I, you, did you I, notice I, it? I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I really liked the main theme that he wrote for the story. I thought mm -hmm. it worked really well. Um, I, I, the songs for the movie, you know, they, they were okay. They weren't, they weren't like, you know, Alan Menken great, I guess you could say. Um, 
But I wonder, I, Josh, if that had something to do with the fact that Disney wasn't sure exactly where it was going to go with its musical yeah. arm. You know, yeah, maybe I, that I was them true. getting back into this it. This was, was before just... The Little Mermaid in 89, you know, when that was kind yeah, of the beginning yeah. of Disney's big golden age in the 90s, yeah, right? absolutely. So um, it, it's very possible, yeah, they were very low-key about it. You know, they got like one of Bette Midler's backup singers, essentially, to mm -hmm. be to be the singer for the for for this one and then vincent price wanted to do the song himself i think they were banking a lot on vincent price for this movie to be honest and that was a very smart uh thing for them to do yeah i mean it certainly didn't hurt did it because he was he was great but yeah i, I enjoyed barry ingham too i i thought he i, I thought he was good in the role of, of basil but this well, guy says yeah like Sorry. he wasn't quite holmes but um yeah you don't expect him to be right I, and i think that's kind of also how they were able to get around the copyright again the... well i was gonna say like his voice like i mean i didn't picture that voice as to me really sounding like sherlock holmes to me like the dawson sure uh but the the voice for basil didn't really make me think of sherlock holmes per se mm -hmm. that's just me though i'd say basil is kind of like uh Ra basil rathbone on I don't know, like uh, on Ritalin or something like that, yeah. or, or, or needs to be on Ritalin or something. Like there was a hyper intensity to his mm -hmm. character, and I think also because it just attributes him as being a mouse as well, right? Just like that, like that scuriness, you know, that 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 you know that they have. Like, well, yeah, I'm it's true. Trying to think of an right. example, like think of um, uh, what was that movie, Over the Hedge, uh, mm -hmm. where you had like, oh, yeah. Steve Carell as a squirrel. squirrel? Oh, as a squirrel. Yeah. Like, it was so just kind of like that kind of like uh, that, so that hyperness, I guess you could say, yeah. that he brought, that he yeah, brought to yeah. people. And that's yeah. what you see as a Sherlock Holmes in mouse form, in my opinion. Yeah, hmm. it's true. And it's funny with, with Basil, he really is like, man, he just went down on the dumps and almost just like let them like let them die like you know when he was stuck in the mousetrap there i mean that was mm -hmm. pretty, that was pretty uh like you know and it was up to dawson to like you know like yeah, by the talk way him talk him out of it so it's interesting yeah now, i i was just thinking like that's an interesting uh you have these like um these bigger than life characters like basil and um radigan and you can really see their character flaws there oh sure. totally yeah yeah that was, that was now, interesting that was well portrayed Another point to make too is Olivia. Like that's a character that could very well have been a very annoying, overly mm -hmm. sentimental kind of character. Yeah. But they gave her Moxie, and and uh, I really enjoyed her spirit. And and uh, and you know, you know, like she wasn't crying all the time. You know, like mm -hmm. she no. wanted to find her dad. And mm -hmm. even like you know, she knew this guy Basil could help her. She was like, "Come on, buddy, stop being yourself." And you know, yeah. kind yeah. of help my dad. You know. Yeah, that was. I, I found her resilient. Like she wasn't. She's only helpless because she's a young. She's she's a child. As opposed sure. to, you know, like she could still, even when Fidget puts her in, even though like we were scared by Fidget in the cradle, you can see her fighting and trying to kick at uh, Fidget mm -hmm. when, when he throws her in the bag, right? So, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. And and Basil says to her, this is no place for a young girl. You stay here. But the fact yeah. is, when the she does shot. go, we don't mind. Yeah, the next shot is yeah deliberate sort of setup for that shot. But we don't mind that she is there. And I think that's what you're trying to say. No. She's, she doesn't drown or kind of drag anything down. She does no. have a bit of moxie, as Josh says. And she's yeah. cute. Yeah. And she is cute. And she doesn't speak too much. And no. her, her babyishness is only inappropriate moments like where she is yes. legitimately grieving for the loss of her dad and she's frightened and I, I i like it i think it's good yeah i think yeah i think that's exactly what we're getting at here all three of us are in agreement is that the the ratio to cuteness to um sort of like how she advances the plot and also mm -hmm. just it's nice to see like a, a a little girl character that's not you know too helpless but so it has all the right 
all the right sort of Disney caricatures, but also a, a good character that will advance the plot. So you, you get you have cuteness. Uh, you know, she's young. Uh, she's scared. She's uh, resourceful. Like, uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of good aspects to her character that are, are, are really well done. And, and I was actually quite impressed with her character because you, you see, you can see other Disney characters that either are too far one way or the other. Like sometimes they're so cute and annoying or, or whatever. But but I think she was actually a very good mix of all of all those kind of traits. Well, guys, I, just... I like how they give her a Scottish accent too. Yeah. They don't give her the yeah. typical like Oliver Twist kind mm-hmm. of, you know, like that Dickensian yeah. girl accent, like, you know, very, you know, very cockney or whatever. They make her in, like a Scottish girl, you just know, like and her father. it kind of shows the expanse of Mousatoria's empire, you know, like it shows, you know, to have like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't mean to say the melting know, pot yeah. the melting pot I guess yeah. you could say um, but uh, the fondue yeah. pot the cheese fondue there you go yeah, yeah. <laughs> the cheese fondue pot yeah exactly um, just before we go on and, and give our scores for the film which I think we all enjoyed you know on some levels yeah. certainly oh, yeah. can I ask you um, just generally is it an effective children's film? Like, are there too many strokes of sort of the the adult humor or the darkness? Because this is a film where I cannot think of a scene upon reflection that involves the daylight. Okay, now that's yeah. just one thing, and I know yeah, we're right. de- we're dealing with mice and sewers and rats, and so it fits in perfectly fine. And London in the eighteen nineties with the fog and all that stuff. Yeah, I get it. I get it. But there is no daytime to this film. It is a dark film. I don't mind that at all. I think it suits the atmosphere of the detective story. And I think we're we're dealing with the world of Sherlock Holmes. But there is no brightness as such. There's brightness in, in the heroism of the score. There's brightness in the adventure of wanting to do right and bring down a villain. And uh, the friends, you know, the auxiliary components to the film's narrative are all sort of bright, but they're only bright in either color or character. There's no light, really, beyond beyond the dismal lamps and gloom, right? So is this a film that your kids are going to enjoy as young kids, or are you going to wait until they're eight or nine, you know, before you show them this? And, uh, I, I think mean, it depends uh, on the child. I, I mean, I'm the one with the kids. I, I guess I should be yes. saying this, but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I, I got a five year old, and when when we when I had this on, um, she's she wasn't she loves her Disney man like very much, yeah. uh, but she wasn't too interested in this yeah. one. And the I bat the say. bat legitimately <laughs> frightens her at oh, the start sure. before it's even uh, like doing its jump scares. It is frightening, I, and the bat's creepy. So. I'm I'm thinking that this this is not a film for for young Disney viewers. This is not your, uh, no. you know, your Alice in Wonderland animals. This is a little bit more, and that's creepy too. But you know, this this is more deliberately darkened, I think. And I I don't I'm, think Disney's expecting little ones to get this. No, and you're no, right. And I think I, this I would is say probably it depends what on the child, see. but maybe like seven to eight, seven to nine, I think would be the proper age for this yeah. one. Definitely a little later, I have to say. And it I, really I, depends I, upon what your kid is exposed to and what scares them, right? Yeah. Like. Or what, or what interests them even. So I think it, I think that can vary from kid to kid. Well, she likes the rescuers. Oh, yeah, and the, res- oh, the rescuers. But the rescuers, to me, is really quite dark, though, you know, as well. Like, the idea yeah. of the kidnapping is a difficult thing to, to explain to children. It's a difficult it's a difficult concept to to really touch upon. Uh, and that's that's an aspect of the criminal world that, that that's really frightening for children. But look and at I'm, 101 Dalmatians, I mean... Yeah, exactly. I mean, Dis- Disney's full of creepy... Coats. 
Well, D- Disney is full of creepy stories, you know, and Bambi. I mean, and look at the beginning oh, of man. the beginning of this. Olivia's mom is dead. Like, is there a fucking ba- is there a Disney film that doesn't include a kid whose parents have died <laughs> Actually, in some yeah, respect? Yeah, it's you know? true. Yeah. It's, anyway, um, that, I just I asked that question. So, Josh, no, that, that, that's your question. two cents. What do you think, Jeff? They cut like, the scene where when, when her mother died in childbirth. I'm, I'm assuming because that was I don't know that would happen back then. I suppose I don't know. I don't know. That went to a dark uh, place, but well, I, we're going to dark places apparently. You went down a, a dark mouse hole there. Mouse okay. hole, yes. Um, well, to be honest, this is why I honestly don't like. I mean, I never again. I never saw this when I was a kid, and I think if I had ever seen clips or anything like that, I didn't think it was Disney because it didn't seem like Disney to me. The animation, I guess, thought it like, oh, like this looks pretty close to Disney. But I think maybe that's why I didn't think mm-hmm. it was Disney because it was ultimately very dark. Yeah. And you're right. I didn't even I didn't even notice, but I guess I did. But I didn't notice that it was like almost never done in the day, and uh, so I don't think I probably would show a young child like you know under the age of five this film because it is kind of spooky. And mm-hmm. uh, and again, where I would normally gravitate to is like what Disney's known for is like having, you know, the little side characters that are cute and goofy and like little things like I mean there was a couple, but not not too many. Like there wasn't too many sort of. Um, you know, side characters that are sort of just do sort of fun, goofy, like 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 in a boo or something like that, where you're mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah. you know, there wasn't too many, there wasn't characters like that. Um, no, there's only principles, so, really. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah there's no. So, yeah, the henchmen are all evil. Yeah, exactly. Well, the henchman. So I, I probably wouldn't hmm. uh, show this to a very young child. I know that if I was four or five, I I probably would have been scared. I, I'm, yeah, I'm telling you yeah. right now, I probably... I, I, I was scared, and I was... I, much oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Josh there. was like 17, yeah, so... Well, guys, why don't we just uh, lay out our scores? I'm quite happy to do that. I'm not going to... Yeah. I, I feel like we've we've all kind of talked around, so yeah. I'm, I'm quite happy to recommend this. I, um, I I do recommend the film. I think it's, 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 sure. it's an interesting addition to the Disney... Uh, yeah. to the Disney catalog and anybody's collection, but it, there, it, it is slower than a lot of, it is. you know, than a lot of sing-songy Disney films because the, the breaks for music are not as frequent in this film as they have been in some of the earlier classic Disney films and certainly as they are in subsequent Disney films because this is situated at a time when Disney's kind of said goodbye to its music, but it's also, it's also saying hello again to its music. So it's, it's really yes. trying to feel itself out here. There's only three or four songs in this film. One of them is quite campy and raunchy. Um, yeah. the, Rad, the Radigan bit's the best, but the, the musical yeah, score... The musical score by Mancini is quite its quite engaging. It's fun to listen to. It's got a great overture, which is not something that all Disney films actually have, like a theme no. off of which all other things are, are built. Do you know the other film from uh, the, the Holmes world that Mancini scored just a couple years after this? I thought oh. it was. I, 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 I thought it was before. I thought it was the um, it was the Barry Levinson. What's it called? Uh, Young Sherlock Holmes. Did he do that? I believe he did, didn't he? I, I'm not. Uh, I could be. I could be mistaken. Well, a couple of years after a couple of years after this, Mancini scores without a clue. Oh, without a clue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Michael Caine and Michael. Sir Ben Kingsley. That's oh. right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. It's quite cool. Anyway, I, I enjoyed it. Um, yeah. So my, my scores then, okay, out of ten, right? We're gonna do the bomb by numbers out of ten, aren't right. we? Right. Yes. Right. Yes. So for story. This was a, uh, you know, this was a straightforward narrative. It had its cool little deductive points. It was interesting to see 
like I, you know I'm, I'm judging the character of Radigan by this particular scheme and I would like to have seen some of his other ones because they probably were better than this one but <laughs> but you know the robot this is, replacing the queen <laughs> yes but as Jeff says you know this is how we get the girl motivating the plot and all of that stuff so I I enjoyed the story I thought it was certainly engaging enough it lulled a little bit in the middle like um, I did feel as though there was a little bit of exposition problem when we get to the the storyboarded uh, cabaret stuff but you know what I enjoyed it for a 75 minute feature it, it was cool it was fun it did it knock me over no it didn't knock me over I was mildly I was warmly intrigued let's say I was warmly intrigued and out of um, out of 10 we we score out of 10 on bomb by number so out of 10 robot mice queens I will give uh, six and a half robot mice queens for the story Okay. I gave seven. That um, story okay. was pretty basic. It worked to get Basil versus Radigan. I think that was the mm -hmm. whole point. That was the I really point, liked, yeah. I really liked the cold open. Like in terms of how plot structure is built, it, um, it it followed along that thread. I think the movie does have a lull after the toy shop sequence. Mm -hmm. um, it, uh, it Then you go to the, then you go to the, you have that bit, and then you have a little bit of a, of, of a bright moment with the, um, with, with the, um, uh, with the de with the deduction scene, and then of course mm -hmm. leading to the cabaret bar scene, and uh, that was a bit of a lull for me as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, because you knew what was going to happen that it would lead to his cap to his capture by yeah. Radigan. Um, mm -hmm. Everything following that was fantastic in my opinion. Like I thought it had a really great third act, despite you know the the ridiculousness of Radigan's scheme. Um, yeah. As I said, easily foiled by a prime minister and his cabinet. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I guess the mouse don't have a prime minister. On this oh, thing. would the mouse prime minister live in a cabinet? Oh. <laughs> it would live in the cabinet, yeah. Yes. Cabinet in Big Ben, in Big Ben somewhere. In, also, uh, in Westminster I, somewhere. Exactly. Also, oh, it would be, of say, course. Yeah. I loved that um, Fidget had a beef eater outfit. I love that. Yeah. Well, he was stealing them, right? So that he yeah, could know, impersonate just, the royal guards. I, I enjoyed that. <laughs> so they had beef eaters, and some, at some point, then they had Tudor, uh, mouses as well. Of course. <laughs> so there Tudor had mice, to be a yeah. big Henry the Eighth fat Henry the Eighth mouse at some point. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and a and a uh, um, uh, what is it? A, a John Locke? They would need to have that. A, a John, John Locke. Locke mouse as well. Yeah, absolutely. A Thomas More mouse. Who knows? Cromwell. Uh, a, a Cromwell mouse. <laughs> a Guy Fox mouse. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, sorry, Josh. Finish just up, buddy. Put him on the mouse trap. That's how they execute. Uh, we're going into weird places here. Um, yeah, so story, I gave seven. I was a little bit more generous in that sense, but I thought it right. worked fine. I think yeah. it worked well for the story. I was again with out. the story. With the story, I was thinking like, yeah, okay, it's it's pretty good. Like, it's not as as Disney movies go. This movie didn't like necessarily captivate me like like a lot of Disney movies do. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm a little surprised that this movie was the one that saved Disney. I'm going to be honest with you. If you to you told me that, I I'm actually kind of surprised. Yeah. I'm I'm happy that it happened, but I'm I'm actually quite surprised that this was the movie to do it. But uh, I think the story is okay. It's not. It's definitely not the best Disney uh, animated film story ever. I I actually had given it higher, but then as we were discussing, I'm like, no, I'm going to give it about a seven. Six and a half, seven, because it, mm -hmm. it's pretty straightforward. It does what it needs to do. Seven, I think, is is definitely uh, is, is a decent score to give it, but it's not nothing that I would write home about. Yeah, I don't think it would win it like any awards for 
plot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. It's not going to win the great plot awards. It's just no. a pretty okay story, yeah. And it does what it needs to do with it. It, it, it enables silliness for kids and sure. a bit of stuff for adults. So um, stick with you then, Jeff. What, what about your acting? Um, but, well, acting, I mean, it, D- Disney voice acting has always been well done. Um, and I'll be honest with you, you know, being being the age that I am and watching and um, actually appreciating more of the older style, like, you know, uh, single cell and uh, mm-hmm. quote-unquote 2D animation, Disney's always been great with voice acting. So, in, in fact, when we do the acting score, I actually wrote voice acting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I gave it a nine because it's Disney choosing great voice actors mm-hmm. that really do capture each of the characters properly. I mean, Vincent mm-hmm. Price, what else are you going to do? What else you, What else can you say? Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think all the – again, the, like what I was saying is I don't picture the, the Basil character. Like he doesn't necessarily – make me think of Sherlock Holmes. Now, granted, he's not Sherlock Holmes. He's, of course, he's Basil of Baker Street. But uh, regardless, I'm saying the voice acting was nine because I thought everyone was well portrayed uh, and and the characters and the way they were drawn really do match up well. And obviously, Olivia is super cute. And, and I do like, you know, the father and his Scottish accent. And I did appreciate that they also decided to, to keep the continuity there and give his daughter a Scottish accent, which was good. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And I did appreciate Fidget. He was, you know, his accent and his voice was well done. And with sort of like the intonation and, and, and sort of, I guess, in his his traits in there. I just think the, the voice acting and acting was well done in this well film. Said. So I'm going to give it a, I'm going to give it a nine. Well said. Um, I, I agree, Jeff. I gave it uh, I gave it a nine as well. Um, I think the strongest part of the movie was the characters. The yes. plot was very basic. I still enjoyed it, but it was very basic. What really drove the plot to me was the characters, hmm. and uh, I think that's a that's a strong part of an animated film. Exactly, it's the characters that you get attached Absolutely. to, and if you get and if the story is good, I mean that's even better as well. But uh, in most cases, expectations are satisfied. I think it's because of the characters, mm-hmm. how they're animated. If you read like the critical yeah. reviews on the Great Mouse Detective, they do talk about how one of the reasons why this movie got a great—not just a good box office, but a good critical critical, yeah, yeah—was because of how Disney animated the characters and how they made them stand out, and they weren't too overly sentimental. You know, like they were—they seemed like hmm. characters within their own world, and they didn't talk down to, to to the kids, you know, that were watching the movie, and so the adults could respect that as well. And I think yeah, I agree. Yeah. Carried that That's off a good point. Yeah. With, excellently. And of course, Vincent Price, I mean, as Jeff said, what can you say? I mean, he was fantastic. And yeah. you could tell he was putting his heart and soul in the role, you know? Like, yeah. like there, I can think of another voice actor that puts his heart and soul in the role, and that would be like, you know, Mark Hamill when he plays the yeah. character and stuff oh, like that. Oh, man. Right? Mm-hmm. So, like, that, it was so up there. Good. It was it was up there, like, with Mark yeah. Hamill for me. Like, his Radigan is just absolutely fantastic. fantastic. And as I said, I think he's a, I, I think with maybe one or two exceptions, he's probably the best portrayal of Moriarty. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, he, he's he's you know he's more Moriarty than Moriarty. More Moriarty than Moriarty. Yeah, he's like Moriarty taken to the next level, I guess you could say. Well, taken to a level, I would say. He's Moriarty than Moriarty. <laughs> he's taken to eleven. He's taken Moriarty to eleven. Yeah. Let's just. <laughs> yeah, and of course Barry Ingham was great as uh, as Basil. Basil's yeah. not Sherlock Holmes. He's his own character. Oh yeah. I thought Ingham did a great job. I thought. Well, Paul that yeah. Uh, that Dawson. That, that's what I had to reconcile with was Basil is not Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, he's his own that. character because I kept wanting more from Basil, but it's because <laughs> yeah. it's because of that. Like I, I actually think that Basil is probably 
the least interesting voice yes. of the main ones. You know, I agree. I agree with you. I but anyway. Yeah, well, it's a very standard kind of voice. Like, I read that they based him off Leslie Howard, who was this... Oh, right. Okay, sure. This British director. They also wanted a bit of Bing Crosby in him originally as well, just because of of how he was drawn, and I guess him being lean and stuff like that. They wanted a bit of Bing Crosby in there as well, but Leslie Howard was the primary uh, inspiration uh, for his character. Interesting, interesting. But yeah, uh, everything, as I said, Alan Young as Flyrishim worked so well. Candy Petito was great as uh, Fidget. Fidget Mm -hmm. was a villain that, like, you kind of sympathize with in his own way, but you were also kind of scared of him as well. And I'm wondering, like, did he survive that fall? Because he's still a bat. He could have floated all the way down to the Mm -hmm. bottom of the uh, Thames there, right? So, Well, weren't his wings fairly badly chewed by Felicia? It's true, but you kind of, but you see him land, right? And he doesn't fall like on a, that's on a heavy true. Momentum. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It just yeah. like flops down there, right? <laughs> now, in the middle of the Thames, how is a bat with no wing going to survive? Uh, I don't know. He'll probably drown, most likely. I well, the, the weight, the weight of his peg leg would tear him down. I'm sure. Uh, yeah, that's true. Poor fidget. Did oh, he have? Well. Did he have that heavy costume on as well? Oh, Ooh, yeah, because you know, like it's a wool. If he mm. had like a wool coat on, we all like. <laughs> It's going to soak up the water. Well. <laughs> That's true. Oh, man, man. That's true. And yeah, and I would say overall, yeah, acting was like, yeah, fantastic for this. Mm-hmm. Okay. Voice acting, to quote yeah. Jeff. Well, I, I didn't go nine. I went eight simply because I'm not terribly confident in the territory that I'm dealing with here as acting in the animated film. I I went for an eight because I kept wanting something a little more interesting out of Basil. He certainly wasn't bad, yeah, but I mean... Fair. There's to, for me. There's Flavisham and there's um, there's Flavisham and there's Ratigan. I don't think any of the other voices in this. And Mrs. Judson was pretty cool as well, but like she was that, in it. Yes. So so yeah, he, he was good. He was good. But the chief ones for me were those two, and yeah. the other voices were just okay. Yeah, serviceable for the story. The acting, sure. the animation was was good, and it it did suit the characters well. And I think that is one of the things that really helps the Disney Corporation is that its its animators are just fantastic. Yep. They really are. Whether they're doing cell animation 2D or whether they're doing computer animation, they know their stuff inside and out. They really capture the motions of animals. They do get the the details as well with like, you know, the claws and with the tail strikes and all everything is so is so believable to, to the world that's being conceived that I I can't really fault them. But yeah, I don't know. Eight Eight just feels right for me no, because that's, that's fair. I I've seen better animated films and I've seen yes I've I've been brought like Secret of Nim for me is is more the animator or the character acting in that you know I feel like you get more expression with the eyes and things and, I would agree with you yeah and maybe it, that's it maybe that's You're just right. the context of, but I don't know even in saying that I don't know. I, I suppose for an animated film, the acting and the atmosphere kind of melt with me. So I'm going to stick yeah. with eight, but I certainly can't challenge your nines, guys. I certainly can't. No, no. I think you're spot on. And I think we're all in the same mm-hmm. – we're all very close. In It is hard to sort of say acting-wise. But again, with Disney, and that's the thing, is like they always do a good job of, of finding people to really capture the voices. And I, But I, I will say, though, that I actually think – and I, probably why I didn't give it a perfect score is the one person who's the star of this film is mm-hmm. Basil. And he, to me, he was the one that I was the least interested in. Yeah, me too. Uh, out of all the characters, to be to be quite honest with you. You know what I think that, that is? I think it's because they asked him to do Sherlock Holmes. I think that's what they asked that actor. They said, we want you to do Sherlock Holmes as a mouse. 
And I think maybe they probably stuck too hard of him making him too Holmesian mm. when in fact it didn't end up that way at all. But in a way, they also ended up, um, you know, making a less interesting character because of it. I mean, I think that the guy mm-hmm. did a great job, you know. Well, like, no, he did. He was fine. He was fine. fine. Yeah, more so fine than great. I mean, he was he yeah. was good. I'll, I'll, I'll give it a good. Yeah. There you go. Well, in terms of atmosphere, I enjoyed the film. Um, the animation was great. The color was great. The sketching were great. The characters were great. It, it's it's all layouts. fine. The layouts were lovely. I mean, the, the, the storyboarded set pieces were clearly these. I mean, everything storyboarded in an animated film. But you understand what I mean. Like there were yes. some pieces that were more heavily set piece to the plot, which were built in different depth perceptions and stuff. Like I I like that. Um, but the score was really good. I, I appreciated the music. Mancini's mm. music was better than I thought it would be. I noticed it here. Now, uh, I was listening for it, but I noticed it working. And, you know, I thought it, was, it, was, it was good. I, I like the overture for The Great Mouse Detective. I think it's a very listenable piece of music. It, it, it's, it's marchy, it's exciting, and it is up there in league with great heroic themes. Now, is it going to be one of Hollywood's best-remembered themes? No, it isn't, no. but... But it, it, it's definitely a nice piece within Mancini's oeuvre, if I can use that yes. inflated word. And it, 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 it is a nice little theme for the for the movie to, to work and operate within. Um, outside of what we've spoken about, I, I don't think I'm missing much. Uh, no, it, it no. was a clever I little movie. Covered the, basis. the atmosphere worked really nicely for me, but I missed the fact that there's not a lot of brightness in the film. Maybe a few cutaways, a few quite a few cutaway illustrations of of you know london during the daytime and then bring me underground if you want to but remind me that this is still a you know because the home stories and i presume the titus stories as well still dealt with london more widely we didn't get a lot of london in this it's just the bits where the rats and the mice are you know yeah yeah they kind of wanted to establish the beneath the human world. Very much I guess so, like, yeah. Yes, I guess yeah. you wouldn't see like rats during the day, like running, scurrying around. Like basically, like was, yes, was, yes. was London that rodent infested at this time that you have like a mouse society like running around the sidewalks of oh you yeah, know, and of course it and, was and, and wayfarers of of London, you know. Like, mm-hmm. And during the day, maybe you know they don't come out, but at nighttime they do. So maybe it's like a nocturnal world. Mm-hmm. I don't know that they that they have and they I still like, think vampires cool. they sleep during the day or something. Yeah. Well, they are nocturnal. Certainly, there's a yeah, you know that there is that side. They would have had things. like Trafalgar Square or something, just like something like that. Like there was some kind of thing. Like hmm. I don't know. But, the, but I mean, yeah, the yeah. film can show you London in. Yeah. But hey, whatever. This is nitpicking. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, it's funny, you know. We we rate movies using this this legend, right? This scoring yes. system, and some of them don't come anywhere near to as high as this one is going to end up. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, true. for for what it is, for what it is. A six and a half, an eight, and an eight from me because I go eight for atmosphere. I mean that that's out of thirty. What I is went for eight as well. You know that that's not a bad score, but no, it's, it's not. for what it is. It, it it's good, and I would recommend it. But mm, older kids maybe. Yeah, older kids. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. For uh, sorry, if for my atmosphere, if you don't, do you mind if I jump? Nah, in? go. Is that okay? I actually originally had given a ten because I was like, "Look, it's Disney. I, I, you know, the atmosphere is there. That's one of the things that they can do. They can really get you sort of in the world." And obviously, with with Disney, these kind of films, especially these ones where it deals with you know smaller characters, smaller animals, and they kind of they they create that world of like a miniature world where mm-hmm. you know um, it shows you just like how they would uh, start it off, where like there's Baker Street, and then there's the little Baker Street, or like there's like a, a toy shop with a smaller toy shop for the mice. 
Uh, and I like how they always kind of incorporate like another world and, and sh sort of show the, the miniature aspect and what they use. Like I was saying with, with um, the airship being like, you know, a, a handkerchief, uh, sorry, a, a handkerchief and like three balloons and a matchbook. This is the kind of atmosphere that it was a I It was a flag, wasn't it? Oh, it was a, oh you're right. I'm sorry. Yes. Because... Well, you're right. It was a Union Jack. Mm -hmm. That's correct. Yeah. It was a flag. Um, it, I, it's those kind of things that I find that it, Disney does really well for atmosphere. Uh, but you're right. It's like I was going to give it full marks, but I'm going to drop it down to about 9.5 because you're right. I found it, it. You're right. It's too dark, and I didn't even that didn't even come in to to my to my. Uh, I, I guess I just didn't even think of it at the time. But you're right. It's a little too dark. So I'm going to give the atmosphere nine and a half because it is a Disney film. It does a good job of creating the world and uh, and with all the characters and the music and and they did capture uh, late. 19th century uh, London and obviously the Jubilee and they got all those kind of aspects good characters um, uh, Homer obviously agrees with me and Toby but I give it nine and a half because I thought uh, you know with Disney films they always are, are very good with the atmosphere and uh, and so I think this one did a good job but uh, I'm going to take it down a notch half a notch to nine and a half very nice. Okay, good. Okay. Joshua. Yeah, so, yeah, as I, as I said, I gave it an eight. Um, I found that there was, I, I don't really agree with you on the whole sun thing, on the whole, you know, being, you guys were missing that bright, cheery kind of moment, I guess. I, I found the, the animators were, and the directors were consistent with the tone of the story they wanted to tell. They wanted to tell a story about Victorian London with mice and, and whatnot, and you got to deal with underground spaces when you come to that. So logically, Mm -hmm. I I think you know like I think that was fine. I can understand though on an emotional kind of level how that kind of those kind of sequences would have cheered things up a little bit for you and maybe and you think that would have worked better for as a kids movie. Well, maybe so I do maybe. I do agree with you there. Um, I do find though like I did have some inconsistencies, especially with the period uh, with the cabaret sequence, for example. So that took off the atmosphere for me. Um, I love Mancini's score. I thought it was great, uh, mm -hmm. more than serviceable. Like uh, it's a great, it's a great overture, as you said. I also really like some of the the more menacing motifs for Radigan. I thought they were really good. Um, on top of that, I really in, and the, the whole the whole scoring of the clock sequence is fantastic, actually. Yeah, the um, big Ben stuff is good. Yeah, that that yeah that whole cue to me is probably one of the best parts of the, of the score, in my opinion. Like it's very mm -hmm. well done. Um, and uh, I had a court and musically too. I also love Vincent Price's uh, goodbye song as well. I think that's yeah, that's awesome. that's wonderful. Although another I, reason, you know, there's there's a lack of songs, and I know it's because of the context and where the film's situated within the history of the Disney animation. But I do miss not having music in these. It's not enough for me, and I think maybe that's another atmosphere point that cost it a bit for me. That yeah. that, that makes sense to me absolutely. I um, agree. I and I also like. The, Jeff mentioned how the characters were good. I liked how the characters were believable in the period that they were depicting as well. Like, I never saw anything off in that kind of sense. There were some inconsistencies, and the cabaret sequence was a big immersion killer for me. It just seems like... Yeah. I think that is a big lull in the story was, was, was when that sequence occurred. I found, in regard to the musical sequences, mm -hmm. they're kind of inserted in this movie, and they don't naturally flow in this movie like they do in other Disney films as well, in my opinion. Like even the Radigan song at the beginning, um, in the, the first act, mm -hmm. that to me wasn't as uh, there wasn't really a natural segue to it, in my opinion. Like I found that. Well, I mean, 
it's a scene of cavorting and and villains yeah. together drinking and Radigan is it's his first big appearance in a Disney film in in the movie. I can see that as being as and that's as expected as anything yeah. else. Well, I think with the cold open that occurred, and then you have the overture, the credits, and you have the sequence afterwards where she's they're trying to find where they get to Basil's place, mm-hmm. I, and then you also you have this musical sequence. It was more like. I don't care about this song. Go back to the story, you know? And I guess in a way it kind of took me out of the immersion. Whereas like with a Disney film, I normally would already have that immersion, I guess you could say. Uh, I, okay. I don't know. That's just my feeling on it. But I, I think eight, eight and a half, I think is a, uh, is a, is a perfect grade for the atmosphere overall. Okay. Well, the great mouse detective gets our seal of approval here on lighting the pipes, even though um, there are at least for, for my, for my position, there are some moments of, uh, Holmesy and dearth, I suppose I could say. I would like there to be a, a few more nods to the canon, and it, it, it's intrigued me now to wonder how much of uh, Eve Titus's and uh, Paul Gardon's books have also maybe bypassed some of the uh, some of the Holmesy and human world in their adaptations or their their original stories to service a very mouse oriented world. I'm I'm wondering, you know, how much this film deviates from their recipe you know it's very pop yeah mm. i'd be curious yeah. to find out uh mm. but uh, that's another story of course it is and that's another podcast i mean there's a lot to enjoy here in the great mouse detective there's a lot that we enjoyed and uh, it's been it's been fun talking this over with you guys so jeff thanks for joining us again to do another oh, little review yeah man thanks for stopping by i'm Good sorry oh, one thing you mentioned the last episode of we did on the nola holmes uh jeff was about the the suffragettes learning. Yeah, I wanted to bring that up mm-hmm. again. I just didn't have a chance yeah, to. But, uh, we, we, I, we definitely fact check time. That. Let's do that. Yeah, yeah, I, do I, that. I, I yeah, wanted to say go. one. I, I noticed that um, someone had had uh, sent a link and, and give, given us sort of what it was based on and uh, a really good informative sort of description of suffragettes and then like a, a self defense. Now it looks like it was possibly early 20th century possibly but mm-hmm. uh it's still nice to see that i was i was proved wrong and i i did and thank you for because i almost forgot but i i was i wanted to mention this in this podcast because obviously I, it, uh, I and i wanted to say thank you for um uh, the person who who had um posted that and uh nat loves uh, st nat loves stranger things that's who it was that did that ah, okay mm-hmm. So uh, that, yeah, a Millie Bobby Brown that. fan certainly online yeah. jumped in and, and gave us some gave us some good uh, info on that about the loss. Uh, sorry, what is it? Uh, Edith's character apparently based on Edith yeah. Margaret Garrod. So cool. historical basis for the jujitsu included in the film. Yeah, that's great. And thanks, thanks Josh for mm-hmm. uh, bringing that up. And I, I was going to, and I, I had forgotten. Yeah. But, uh, it's you nice. very much, Nas. You just served Jeff a nice helping of crow pie. Crow, yeah, <laughs> crow but, pie. Well, I, I will happily eat mm-hmm. that. And if there's anything in today's show you've heard that you think that you think we deserve crow pie for, let us know. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Well, gentlemen, uh, thank you very much once again, and thank you everybody for listening to this uh, wayward, you might say, wayward and uh, off kilter episode of Lighten the Pipes. We're coming back very, very soon with our review of The Lady in the Lake, which is Raymond Chandler's fourth Philip Marlowe story. We've worked our way through four of them now, and we'll be coming back uh, to share our review on that one soon, won't we, Josh? We certainly will. So thank you once again for tuning in, checking us out, and uh, be sure to send us your thoughts about the show. Uh, any ideas for future episodes, we're always welcome. We always welcome, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we look forward to hearing from you. So yeah, 
Have a great time, gentlemen, today with your weekends, what's left of them, and uh, we'll yeah. see you. We'll see you soon. Take, Take care. Tally ho, as Basil says. <laughs> does he say that at all in the film? Yes, he does. Tally, does he? tally ho. Yeah, he's writing Toby. Oh right, of course he did. Tally ho. Right. Well, Josh. I was uh, so confident that I was wrong. <laughs> I, I really was. Yeah, I was hoping to score a hit on that one. <laughs> anyway. Crow for you as well. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, guys. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye.